So um, one of the most difficult and challenging things about being a pastor is like when you're invited into people's difficulty or their adversity or their heartache or, or their loss. Because it's like when you're invited into people's like darkest moments, most of the time you just don't know what to say. You, you really don't know what even to do often. And here's the reality. You don't just have to be a pastor to experience that. Many, many of you know what that's like because you've been there as a friend. And because you're a friend and you have a friend who's going through like this dark moment, they kind of expect you to know what to do or they expect you to know what to say. But here's the reality. In the midst of tragedy and loss, oftentimes there's just really nothing to say or there's really nothing to do, but you're kind of expected to have answers to questions. But the, but the truth is, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a friend, all of us have very similar questions about loss and pain. So whether you're a pastor or a friend, I mean, you're kind of, you know what it's like. You're, you're kind of expected to help navigate people through like their darkest moments. And, and again, even the best of us are kind of lost when we come to those moments because there aren't instant answers and there are no quick fixes. In fact, when I first started ministry, I was about 28 years old, and I, I had no idea of what I was to say or do. In fact, it was so intimidating, it was so overwhelming to me that I would not take the role of senior pastor unless a mentor friend of mine who was about 25 years older than me would join me as my associate pastor. Because at 28, I, mean, I knew that I was just clueless when it came to knowing what to do or what to say when I was invited into someone else's pain. Now, here's the thing, move the clock forward a little bit. I'm in my early 50s, and, and here's what I have learned about entering into the pain of others. I still, most of the time, don't know what to say, and most of the time don't really know what to do. But here is something very important that I've experienced and learned throughout this season from about 28 to 50, and that is this. There is something that's very helpful that happens or can happen and we can experience in our time of suffering, pain, and loss. And, and it's referred to this. It's referred or called the fellowship of suffering. Now, the fellowship of suffering, it's this natural bond between those who have, like, suffered deeply and similarly. I mean, like, you don't even have to know their name. They, they don't have to know your name. But, like, there's just this natural bond between people who have suffered deeply and who have suffered similarly. See, when two people have suffered deeply and similarly, when they meet, it's just absolutely amazing to watch. There's just this automatic bond that happens. And you know, as a pastor or a friend, it's like you can do and you can say things and you can try to be there, but when a person who is suffering deeply meets someone who has suffered deeply and in a similar way, there is just something that happens that goes beyond education, it goes beyond uh, spiritual knowledge, it goes way beyond pastoring experience, it even goes beyond friendship and relationship. There is a unique fellowship of suffering. And here's why. Those who have suffered are uniquely qualified to comfort those who are suffering. I mean, we've seen this so many times over the years of ministry, and likely so have you. It's like those who have suffered, they are just uniquely qualified to comfort those that are
are suffering. In other words, like when somebody meets someone who's like in this deep, dark, in the meantime kind of place, facing something that they never thought that they'd face, and they're kind of thinking, you know, I'll never be happy again, and, and there's not going to be any purpose to this, and I don't know how I'm going to go on. When they are face to face with someone who's been there, who survived it, there is just something life-giving that happens between those two. I mean, it's like energizing, and it's hopeful. It's like, you can do this, and you can do this because I did this. And as a friend or a pastor, it's like we may share all kind of like kind words or a heartfelt verse or even a, a prayer, even a tearful prayer. But when the person who has suffered deeply says, I'm telling you, I have been there, I have survived this, you can get through this too. There's just a fellowship of suffering and it is a powerful, life-giving kind of thing. In fact, don't miss this, you may want to write it down. Comfort from those who have been comforted is life-giving to those who need comfort. Make, make sure you get that. Comfort from those who have been comforted is life-giving to those who need comfort. Now, it's not only life-giving to those who need comfort or the person that's being comforted. It is also, this is very important to understand, it is also life-giving to the comforter because in that moment, that thing that they would never have wished on anybody else, that thing that they would have never chosen for themselves, that thing they hoped they would never have to go through again, in that moment, that period of life that was so difficult and so hard, suddenly in that moment, there is a sense of purpose. Suddenly there's like this, oh, something good can come from this. I can help someone else because of what I've gone through. Because see, whereas a pastor can like say a prayer or they can share a verse or maybe just sit quietly and just be there, when the person who has suffered deeply and similarly walks in, man, they just bring this sense of credibility and authority like no other. And in that moment, they begin to understand the value and they begin to understand the purpose of their personal pain and suffering. Now, if you haven't been with us for the past three weeks, you're possibly sitting there thinking, Man, that's just like the heaviest thing I've ever heard in my life for like an introduction to a sermon. I, I thought this was kind of like happy church. So kind of let me catch you up to why that is relevant to us. See, over the last three weeks, we've been in this conversation entitled, In the Meantime. And we've been answering this question. What do you do when there's nothing you can do? Like, what do you do when you find yourself in a season of life and there's really no way forward, there's really no way out? Like, what do you do when you find yourself with what you call a new normal? I mean, your marriage is just what it is. I mean, your son's never going to, your daughter's never going to, those dreams are never going to come true, and they can't come true. You're not going to live the life that you thought you were going to live, and you're not going to even live as long as you thought you might would live. In other words, you look in the future, and the future is not what you hoped the future would be. I mean, there's just really nothing you can do about it. So what do you do when there's nothing you can do? And let me just say this, if you've missed any or all of this series, I mean, like, you can go to our app or our website and you can catch up. And we would so encourage you, but don't miss this. Even if you don't go back there, don't miss this. The reason anything we've said in this series 
has any credibility is because the authority behind all these principles that we've learned over these past few weeks is this, that the authors of the New Testament, literally the men and the women that bring us the story of Jesus, the men and the women that bring us the, the theology of the New Testament, those men and women that bring us all of these principles that we've talked about for these few weeks were not men and women who lived problem-free lives. See, they were not just writers kind of trying to figure out and decide what they could blog about next because it's going to make people like them or follow their blog. I mean, these were like men and women who were faced with all kind of adversity, and yet they believed God anyway. They trusted in Jesus anyway. And, and their message, their message, it survived the temple model and the Roman Empire. And so today, as we wrap up this conversation, we want to talk specifically about why in the world would we continue to believe in a God that allows those kind of things that many of us have experienced and many of our loved ones have experienced? Why would we do that? And so to answer that question, we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a letter that survived the first century. Now, it was written by the Apostle Paul who wrote so many of the letters of the New Testament. And, and as we said last week, when the Apostle Paul steps into the pages of history, he steps onto them as someone who hates Christ's followers. And then through this amazing transformation, he becomes a Christ follower himself. And he decides to take this amazing message of Jesus Christ outside the confines of Judaism to the rest of the world. And, and he plants all of these churches. But in this little letter that he wrote to first century Christ followers in the ancient city of Corinth, he says something about the subject of experiencing comfort when you are in a in-the-meantime kind of situation or circumstance that is so important for all of us to hear. So here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Here's his words. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. So he starts off his letter saying that God is the father of compassion and that he is the source of all comfort. Now, the reason that becomes a little bit problematic up front in this book for many people is this. And it just kind of even lets you know that the people who wrote the Bible and the Apostle Paul specifically was, was a realist. See, if you go in the same letter that he wrote about 12 chapters later, in this same, very same letter, the Apostle Paul is going to tell us that the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, gave him a thorn in the flesh. And he said that that thorn in the flesh, it was so humiliating, it was so debilitating, it was so permanent, it was embarrassing. So like the God of all comfort and the Father of compassion, he's going to say in his same letter, is the one who gave me a thorn in my flesh. In fact, he says, I prayed, I, I cried out to God like three times that it would be removed, but God refused to remove it, which causes some of you to say, okay, well, that, that's really my whole problem with this whole God thing. My, my problem is trying to believe in a good God that allows bad things to happen to good people. 
In fact, you're kind of sitting there thinking, when you just kind of open up a whole can of worms of like, how can I trust that God is God and that he's the father of all compassion when, when I'm experiencing things that are so far from compassion? I mean, like, I'm thinking, God, if you really are a God of compassion, then you would do something about this thing that I'm experiencing. Now, here's the good news. Whenever you read the New Testament, you understand that the authors of the New Testament and the, the Apostle Paul in particular understood this dilemma, this tension. Because the same guy, the Apostle Paul, the same guy who says, God allowed something bad to happen to me, is the same guy who says, but I continue to believe and I continue to trust that God is the God of compassion and that he is the God, the source of all comfort. See, see, the Apostle Paul is saying, that's the kind of God that I'm serving. That in the midst of all the things that I face as an apostle, all the things that I face as a person, in the midst of all the things that God has allowed to happen to me, I continue to believe that God is the God of compassion. I continue to receive comfort from God in spite of the fact that he's chosen not to change certain circumstances. In fact, he, he continues with that theme. Notice what he goes on to say. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our trouble and when you kind of think about that you go why do i want comfort in trouble because i don't really want to even experience any trouble so the question becomes like when you're having trouble in your life when you're experiencing difficulty do you pray for comfort and if you really stop and think about it no you you don't pray for comfort you, you really pray that like your trouble will go away, that your suffering or your difficulty that will go away so you don't say, God, like this is so awful, this is so bad. God, will you just comfort me in this? No, 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 no. What we say is, God, you should send the pastor to comfort me, but God, I need you to like make this go away. I need you to change this. I need you to heal somebody. I, I need a job. I, I need a miracle. See, we don't pray for comfort. What we do is we pray for miracles. We pray for healing. We pray for change. So here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That God is the God of all comfort. And in the circumstances, he changes. Obviously, there will be comfort there. But in the circumstances he chooses not to change, here's one thing that you can count on. You can count on the comfort of God. In fact, he goes on. He says, he comforts us in our trouble so that. Literally, this is just a statement saying, there is a purpose. And the question becomes, so what is the purpose? Well, the purpose is so that we can. So that we can what? The purpose is so that we can. In fact, this little word can right here, it literally means so that we will be empowered to do. That we will be empowered or enabled to do something. To which we want to say, well, I hope I will be comforted so I will be empowered to get out of this. Or I hope I will be comforted so that I will be empowered to like change my circumstances or to overcome so that I don't have to deal with this anymore. And the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 no. 
there is so much more to what you're being empowered to do. Notice what he goes on to say. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves received from God. Now, this is, this is a huge deal. He's saying, listen, God comforts us in all of our trouble so that we can we can be empowered to comfort those in any trouble that they are experiencing or any trouble that they are facing. So God comforts us in all of our trouble. And here's the question. Why does he comfort us in our trouble? Well, first of all, so that we'll be comforted. Yes, that's one of them. But it's even so much bigger than that. He comforts us in our trouble so that we will then have the ability, so that we will have the capacity to turn around and comfort other people in all kinds of trouble. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying is this. You need to understand, there are going to be times when God is not going to deliver you from. Instead, God is going to deliver you through. And when he delivers you through, he's going to do something in you that is going to empower you so that you can pass along that same kind of comfort to other people. So God comforts us so that we can comfort others. That's why he comforts us. God comforts us to comfort others. So let me just ask you a question. This is not a trick question. It's just to put this in our hearts and mind. Why does God comfort you? See, the God of all comfort, he comforts us in order to equip us, to empower us to comfort other people. It's why small groups are such a big deal in our church because we know that God has empowered so many of you. To, he's equipped you through what you've gone through to be able to comfort and minister to other people in ways that our pastor and our staff just can't even think about it because you've had experiences that other people have not had. And then he continues. He says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And let's just kind of pause here for a moment to make sure we really understand what he's saying. This, this phrase right here, the sufferings of Christ, that can actually refer to the physical sufferings of Christ at the end of his life. And we believe that was part of what he's referring to here when Jesus Christ went to the cross and he died and paid the penalty, he suffered in his flesh for all of us as well as spiritually he suffered for us. But many people, in fact, many theologians, they understand this also to mean that Christ suffered partly just because he was a human being. In other words, he, he, everything he suffered, he, he got hot, he got cold, he got lonely, he got left out, he got abandoned, he, he got betrayed. I mean, everything that you have suffered in life to some extent, Jesus suffered in life as well. But not only did he suffer everything that you and I suffer in life, he even suffered more. Think about it. He faced a dark night of the soul. What we mean by that is there was something ahead of him that was so grave and it was so deep and it was so dark that he wished he could get out of it. I mean, you think about whatever you have suffered or faced and in some, some way Jesus suffered that and even more. So the Apostle Paul says, for just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ. 
In other words, there, there's like this parallel thing that happens, or there's just this relationship that happens between what we have suffered and the fact that Jesus has suffered. And then he goes on. So also, our comfort abounds through Christ. Now, what that means practically is this, and you may want to write this down. Our capacity to comfort is determined by the degree to which we've suffered. Make, make sure you get this. Our capacity to comfort other people is determined by the degree to which we suffer. That, that's why if you've ever been like in a dark, dark, in the meantime kind of situation, and people like they've, they've said all kind of things to you. I mean, they're like they're sending you emails and they're sending you text message and, and they're sending you letters or flowers and, and they're just doing their best. But you're thinking like, man, nobody really understands my hurt, my pain, the depth of my suffering. And, and you're probably right. Most people probably don't understand. But then it's all of a sudden, it's like there's this breath of fresh air and, and you meet someone who understands. I mean, it's just really different, isn't it? I mean, there's just something about being face to face with someone who's been where you are at. So the Apostle Paul says, listen, the purpose of the comfort, it isn't simply just so that you feel God's comfort. The purpose is so that you can take that comfort and from time to time, you're going to be the person who walks in the room, who walks in the house, who walks in the office, who walks in the hospital room or in their cubicle. And you're going to be able to look them in the eye and you say, I know what you feel. I know what you're going through. I understand your fear. But here's what can happen on the other side. There is life on the other side of this. Don't give up. And I'm not saying that because, you know, I have this verse that I read this morning, that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that because, like, I'm this pastor. But I'm saying that because I've been there. I have received the comfort of God. And so I'm here to bring that very comfort to you. See, your capacity and my capacity for comfort, it's limited to the degree to which we've suffered. So what the Apostle Paul is teaching us is this. When you are in a in-the-meantime set of circumstances, you are called. Don't miss this. You are called to comfort those who need comforting with the comfort that you have received. Folks, this is a real principle, and it makes a big difference. It is so important because like many of you, I mean, you've experienced so much heartache and so much hurt. Uh, others of you on some of our campuses, I mean, right now in the wake of the disaster that you have felt from the storm, it's like you haven't walked through it before. And, and as much as maybe you've tried to, like, give some comfort to people, it can kind of feel like it's falling short. In fact, um, I've seen this so specifically with our staff as we've ministered to our communities. In fact, last week... Um, I, I tried to pull our staff together, um, and we, we'd planned, got this little staff 
gathering time where we would just worship and and we just had this devotional with them that I did all of Psalms 88 with just kind of the purpose of giving our team a, a chance to breathe and a, and a chance to tap into their Heavenly Father for like their personal and their spiritual and their emotional health. I just felt like we had to do that. So like four weeks after the storm, it was like the first time that our staff ever came, were able to come together and just spend several hours together. It was just to be a time of encouragement. So I, I did this little devotion for them out of um, Psalms 88, talking about that darkest is our closest friend. And, and then we had this incredible time of worship that was led by a couple of our worship leaders. And, and then I just looked at all of our staff, and we had like four or five tables with four or five people around each table. And I was like, I just want you to spend some time praying for each other about the darkness that you're experiencing, the darkness that you're going through. And as I was setting that up, I noticed that Kevin Yoder had gotten up and walked out of the room as I was getting ready to set all that up. And, and about the time I was telling them that you just start praying for each other around the table, Kevin walks back in the room. He said, hey, there's somebody out here you've got to talk to. So I walk out of the room and told all the staff, y'all just start praying for each other. And I join him in just a moment. And when I walk out of the room, there's three guys standing there. First guy, he introduced himself. And the second guy and the third guy, he goes, hey, I'm Pastor Gary, uh, Gary from... Uh, from Okeechobee, Florida, and um, I'm here from More to Life Ministries, and he said, we were praying what to do about this storm and this hurricane, and, and he said, um, we got a couple connections to your church, and we just feel like we should come and bless your church and minister your church. And he started telling me his story and what motivated them to do this, because they had gone through two hurricanes in the last few years. And he started talking about it. I was like, well, how did you survive? He started talking about it. And he said, you know, I just, I just wanted to bless you. And, and I was like, man. And he's like, and then I just want to pray for you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Here's the deal. You don't need to pray for me. You don't, you don't even need to keep telling me your story. You need to come in this room and talk to our staff. And he came in. And I introduced him and the guys to our staff. And started sharing this story of how they came through. And he shared his story. And there was an instant bond between him and every staff member in the room. There was just this instant bond. There was a level of comfort that he brought to every one of us. I mean, what I said, it was okay. But what he said in those few minutes in that room, I'll never forget this statement. And I watched it just bring tears to the eyes of so many of our staff. As he looked at me and he says, I want to tell you, when you are in your darkest time, God still sees you. He has not abandoned you and he will be with you through this. And he was so encouraging. It was so life. And I'd ask him to pray for us. And, and Pastor Kerry, he just, um, he gets down his knee just like this. And he just starts praying over our staff. It was like one of the most powerful. God-anointed, comfort-giving kind of prayers that I have ever heard in my life. And especially heard prayed over our staff. And as he left, he hugged me and I told him, listen. God didn't send you here 
to give us a $10,000 check, which is what they gave us as a church. God sent you here to bring us comfort as a staff when we needed it the most. See, I mean, you, you got to understand, they were able to do, they had the passion to do, because they've been through two hurricanes. They have been setting up and tearing down for 14 years in a high school gym. They're in the middle of, get this, raising money to build or buy land and build a building for them to meet in. And they stop in the middle of that process and they go, we're taking Rivertown Community Church $10,000 to help out. But you know, they didn't just bring money. They brought comfort. Life-giving comfort. Comfort that I needed that morning. Comfort that our staff needed so desperately that day. See, I tell you that story to say this. If you've been there, you've gone through a tough time, a hard time, a difficult time. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this. You are uniquely qualified to comfort those who are still there. See, th this principle that the Apostle Paul is teaching us here, it's kind of like the starting point to bring you purpose to your pain. And here's the thing. It will instill life in your soul. So if you're here with us today and like you're in a in the meantime set of circumstances, let, let me just be really clear. You're going to be tempted at times to believe that you're never going to be happy again, that nothing good can come from this, that there's no point in continuing that, and, and none of those things could be further from the truth. Listen, you can be happy again. There's something good that can come from this. There, there is a reason to continue living. In fact, one of the other letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to Christians that were living in Philippi, and the, these first century recipients, I mean, they had a lot, a lot of questions about how is God good and, and how do they handle difficulty. And, and the Apostle Paul made a very specific promise and it's a promise that God makes to you as well. And, and Pastor Kerry, he, he, he even referenced this to our staff. And here's how it goes. He's saying, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, he will. He will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And I needed to hear that that day. I really did. And I, many of you need to hear that today. See, part of the good work that God is going to carry on in your life, it's going to include some in the meantime kind of seasons. I'm just telling you, that difficulty that you're facing, that adversity that you're facing, Pastor Kerry, he reminded us, he's like, man, it didn't surprise God. It only surprised you. But God is still 
at work, and he will continue to be at work, and you do not need to give up hope. And for all of you, every one of you listening, regardless of what you are facing, you are now uniquely positioned. You are now uniquely equipped. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are now uniquely empowered to take to someone else the very comfort that God has given you if you choose to do that in the meantime. So here's what we're going to do for you today. Um, I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you to lean in to experiencing the comfort of God during your season of trouble. And then after I pray, the band's going to come out and, and they're going to lead us in a song. And, and it's really a song of reflection, saying, God, I'm, I'm going to lean in to your comfort in my in-the-meantime situation. But God, I'm not just going to lean into experiencing your comfort. I'm going to make the commitment today that the comfort that I receive from you, God, I'm going to use it to bring comfort to others. Let me pray for you. And then the band's going to sing and lead our hearts into leaning into God a little bit more. Wading into God's presence a little bit more. Heavenly Father, um, we all need your comfort. Whether our campus has been through a storm or not, all of our lives, we experience adversity, we experience suffering, we experience trouble. So God, we all are in desperate need of your comfort today. And I just pray that in these next few moments, God, that you'll help every student, you'll help every man, you'll help every woman to experience comfort from you. as they hear these words spirit lead me to have a trust that's just without borders God may that be a declaration of all of us saying God we need your comfort in this season and then God May this song also be used to help us all make the commitment that we're going to use this in the meantime situation not only to experience your comfort, but be committed to comfort others in their trouble as well. God, may this moment 
move us to always live beyond ourselves like we've never lived before. May this commitment in this song lead us to be others focused like we've never been before. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful name.